0: Too awkward. I don't even know what I believe about it. I don't even know where I stand on the issue. I'm too scared to talk about it. I just don't want to go there. It's too painful. Jesus had the courage to talk about this stuff. Maybe we can too. Well, good morning, early service. It's nice to see you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and we're going to dive right in because there's no easy way to create a nice little laugh-laugh moment when you're going to talk about a pretty serious topic. So right out of the gate, I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I am certainly not a mental health professional. I'm a pastor, and the only story I have right now is the one that I'm actually living in the story of God's good grace to me. But a part of my story is a little black rain cloud that I have battled for years. I would never, ever have classified myself as depressed. I might have said that I was sad, maybe blue, maybe a little down every once in a while, but I never would have categorically called myself depressed. But my little black rain cloud grew into a full-blown hurricane at the end of 2010, 2011-ish. And ironically, it was during a time when Christ the King as a church was experiencing some of the greatest growth. And and some people would have even said that we were being successful, whatever that means in church world. On the outside, all the charts were going up and to the right, which is where you want them to go. And it's amazed what you can excuse or pretend is not there when all of the charts are going the right direction. But I remember a commons conversation one weekend that shook me to a core. I, I, was, I was speaking to a very close friend, and, and believe me, they were not being malicious. They had no idea what was happening deep inside of me. But I remember them saying, this growth is so unbelievably amazing, and I nodded and smiled because that's what you're supposed to do. But in my heart, I was like, yeah, but I feel like I'm dying. It's They said, you must be so unbelievably excited about what's happening here. And I remember smiling and nodding, but thinking to myself, yeah, but I struggle to breathe. I remember them saying, Jesus is doing so much. And I remember smiling and nodding, but thinking, I don't know. Jesus and I don't talk very much anymore. And I walked backstage that morning for the first time, a thought entered into my mind. I remember thinking to myself, I could grab my wife and we could be in Seattle before they even knew I was gone. The thought of running away and escaping the pressure just seemed to be a viable option. And I remember thinking, I think I might be depressed. And I remembered the feeling of isolation and feeling so unbelievably alone. So I did what so many of us would do in that particular situation. I did what I was taught. I picked myself up by my spiritual bootstraps, and I prayed harder and served harder and ministered harder, and I studied my Bible harder, and I preached harder than I have ever felt before. And I took all of that together, and you know what happened? Nothing. I felt darker. I tried everything to shake that cloud, but it just wouldn't go away. I was stuck in a stigma. It's a stigma that goes with our taboo topic today, the stigma of depression, because in the world, depression is seen as weakness. Like you just must be weak. There's something flawed about you if you're experiencing that. And I didn't want to be seen as weak, because after all, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, I'm a promise, I'm a possibility, I'm a, I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. Those of you who grew up in church know what I'm talking about. You sang the song with me, didn't you? I wasn't allowed to be weak and here's the sad part, the world has a picture of depression but the church has a picture too. In the church depression is often seen as a lack of faith. It's like, come on son, don't you know God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I mean you've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, where? Down in your heart. You should be able to suck it up and pull it together. Come on, Grant, have more faith, believe harder, pray more. I heard somebody say this, fake it till you make it. Is that a verse? I was stuck because I never wanted to be seen as weak, and pastors are not allowed to struggle with faith or anything else, so I bought the stigma, believed the lie, and the lie was simple. You are alone, and you are in this by yourself. In my struggle, I started searching, and I found something out. I found out that lie was not true. So let's just expose the elephant in the room, all right? Let's pull the curtain back and let the elephant come and sit right in the center of Christ the King Community Church. According to Harris Research Analysis in 2014, 29% of Christians in the United States have said they've struggled with depression at one point in their life or another. That's over 45 million Christians. That's more Christians than the combined population of California and Massachusetts. It's a big deal. According to the numbers, out of every 10 Christians you know, three of them are struggling with depression right now. If you're between 18 and 34 years old, you're more likely to be depressed than other generations because like it or not, you experience more pressure and stress in a single day than a person in the Elizabethan era actually experienced in their entire lifetime. If you're a parent with a child younger than 18 years old, you're more likely to become depressed. Aren't you so glad you came to church this weekend? Are you feeling so encouraged and uplifted? But you know what? It meant something to me to find out that I was statistically not alone. That helped a little. And then I found something else out. I found out I was biblically not alone, and that actually helped a lot. This may surprise you, but if you struggle with depression, you're in the company of greatness. Listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, one of the greatest mouthpieces that God ever had in human history. And he says this in Jeremiah 45 I'm weary with my groaning and have found no rest. Does that sound happy clappy to anybody? And he's a prophet. How about the patriarch Moses? He's leading the people of Israel. I mean, he's the guy, and he's got a stick. He's got a st- he lifts his stick and crazy stuff happens. Seas part. Rocks spill water. I mean, this is an amazing. And here's where he gets to. Numbers chapter 11. I cannot carry all these people by myself. This burden is too heavy for me. Then he says to God, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found no favor in your eyes and do not let me face ruin on my own. Wow, he's a patriarch. How about the king of Israel? David's the guy. He's got more than than you and I could ever dream of. And here are his words from Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper, I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. David is drowning in despair. Speaking of drowning, here's another guy, another prophet by the name of Jonah. He says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, now, O Lord, take my life. Let me translate that for you. Kill me. I'd be better off. Take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. I mean, Jonah's so down, he pleads with God to take his life. If you tried to sing, I've got the joy, joy, joy for, for Jonah, he would have punched you in the throat in this moment. He's He's hurting. Speaking of biblical heroes, another prophet by the name of Elijah. This might surprise you, but these words are actually written right after Elijah has a mountaintop experience. He and God just took on 400 prophets of Baal and they win, they win, and then a queen named Jezebel starts chasing Elijah. You'd freak out if a queen named Jezebel came after you too. And here's what happens. The Bible says, 1 Kings 19, Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. That's important. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, some of you are like, Grant, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. It's all Old Testament, guys. That's Old Testament, guys. We've got Jesus. We've got the Holy Spirit. It's different now. I direct your attention to the words of the Apostle Paul, very much a New Testament believer, who said these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Listen to this. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Did you see that there again? Far beyond our ability to endure. So much for the lie that God will never give you more than you can handle. God will often give you more than you can handle so that you understand you have to rely on His strength, not your own, because your strength's not enough, Neither is mine. Paul says they despaired for life itself. Hey, let's throw one more on the pile just for good measure. How about Jesus? You're like, what? Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he, being Jesus, said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I am not saying Jesus was depressed, I'm saying we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness and steps into this kind of storm so we know that we are not alone. Can I get an amen from somebody? I discovered statistically I was not alone with my little black rain cloud. I discovered biblically that I was not alone. And as I began to look at my little black cloud, I discovered solid research that there were common causes. This is not a one-size-fits-all. In fact, I often find when I'm talking to people that it's a combination of different factors, but I think it's important for all of us to just simply understand the pain of some of the people that we sit with and deal with and pray with and even worship with. Here's some common causes. Stating again, not a doctor, not a psychologist, not a psychotherapist, okay? Common cause, long-term erosive stress. Some people are are pressed into this dark cloud because they're in a protracted and prolonged period of stress that just keeps eroding away their will to try and live. And no matter how hard they try to stay above the waterline, it's just too much. And by the way, the Bible says we're actually supposed to have compassion. Long-term erosive stress. Secondly, profound loss or trauma. It can be grief. It can be witnessing a traumatic incident. I promise you... That the people of Dallas, that the people of Nice, France, that the people of Baton Rouge, Louisiana this morning, there's going to be a wound and a scar. And it can, it doesn't have to, but it can press some people into a deep, dark, hard, hard place. And we're supposed to have compassion. It can be the loss of a loved one or the long-term caregiving of a loved one or just the loss of a sense of purpose. It can press someone into that dark place. Number three, it can be unresolved chronic problems. I mean, some of us get pressed into a dark place because of the prolonged inability to find a solution. And it can be a family solution that doesn't get solved or a job solution that doesn't get answered or a personal problem that just wears us down. And the next one, this one was very personal for me because it's not on a lot of lists. It's the pressure to excel. For some of us, we would call it a need to be perfect. I have two settings, okay? And those of you who have worked with me and have been so patient with me over the last 16 years here at Christ the King, you know I have two settings, nothing and perfection. And I tend to bounce back and forth between those two extremes. Here's the problem with being a perfectionist. It's a brass ring that's always just out of your reach because you're never quite good enough to get there. None of us are. And yet I felt pressure all the time to reach for the brass ring because I had good reason as well. Time's flying. People are dying. Come on, Grant. Suck it up and get going. So I did what so many people do. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and my heart shriveled and starved and shrank. Here's another cause. Now, I want to be careful with this one, okay? So just stick with me. A cause can be, not always, not all the time, but it can be spiritual warfare. Now, if you guys have been around here, you understand this, okay? I'm not the kind of person who sees a demon behind every rock or a spiritual root behind every ache and pain. I mean, sometimes your back hurts because you you were cleaning gutters all day long. That's just the way it works, right? But I also acknowledge from firsthand experience that the enemy of our soul loves to steal our hope and our joy. And he will use insidious means to try and steal it from us. Sometimes the warfare is from the outside in. Let's face it. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes the warfare can be from the inside out. I know firsthand, unconfessed sin... Lack of repentance can push you into that dark place because the condemnation comes and sits on your shoulders like a chain. Finally, here's the last one. Medically verified challenges and imbalances. You know, here's the bottom line. Sometimes there are physical and chemical reasons for depression. People can be clinically depressed. That's a medical fact. And if you find yourself there, you need a medical professional, not WebMD, okay, to walk you through that process. You don't have to agree with my list. You can say, Grant, your list is not comprehensive enough. Believe me, I totally get it. In 32 minutes, it's difficult to cover the whole, the whole spectrum. But I think it's important for us to know that. You know, I can't tell anybody else's story. But the dark night of my soul had a little bit of a contribution from every single one of those. The stress of doing church was eating my lunch because I lost sight of something. I forgot that I'm not the pastor of this church. Jesus is. Compassion fatigue, unresolved grief, not dealing with what happens when you stand at a graveside over and over and over again. It had worn me out. My inability to solve some of my own personal problems had worn me down. Being a perfectionist had worn me down. I just tell something, I don't need you to be my critic. I do that job just perfectly fine on my own every week. And the enemy always whispering, you're going to fail. You're weak. You can't do this. I know you. I heard that and I will be honest. At times, I didn't even have the strength to fight back. I found out during this journey that I had a familial history, that I had a bent towards this little dark cloud, and I was in a tough spot, but I learned something. Statistically, I was not alone. Biblically, I was not alone. And spiritually, I was not alone. So I'm not going to insult your journey with five easy steps to get happy. I heard messages, this is how you overcome depression, five easy steps to get happy. Tried all five steps, didn't work. I can, however, share with you a perspective of learning that I lived and I'm living on my journey from darkness to light. I'm not going to come and tell you today, I've completely conquered this problem and I'm standing here as a conqueror because greater is he that is in me. I'm not going to do that because am I always in the light? No. Do I still have dark days? Yep. But every day it's a little better. Because God is faithful. So let's just walk this through, okay? You can argue with me. It's all right. I'm good with that. I'm just going to tell you my own story. In the grips of of all of this, this is how I navigated the dark cloud. Number one, I opened my soul to God's restoration. The words of the famous psalm. King David writing. It was famous to me in so many different ways. I never knew that it would become an anchor that I would attach myself to during the dark days of wandering along. But these words became precious to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want for anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Underline this the next time you read Psalm 23. He restores my soul. I don't do it. He restores my soul. He guides me along the path for His namesake. Even though I walk through the dark valley, and if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. The dark valley, I would feel, fear no evil, for you are with me. There's the presence of God. Your rod and your staff, both protective and directional, they guide me and comfort me. God restored my soul, invited my participation in that process. I joined him as I was working my way back towards the light. And so I know this sounds simplistic, but this is so unbelievably true. I pressed down deep. I saturated myself with God's word. I clung to God's promises because honestly, there were days when that was all I had. I felt like all I had was my Bible and the promise of God. Wayne Cordero, an amazing pastor from New Hope in Hawaii who had a nervous breakdown, wrote these words about his struggle with depression, he said this, there must be certain pilings. Okay, so think construction, concrete tubes that go down into bedrock to hold a building secure. There must be certain pilings driven so deeply into my soul that in times of crisis, they serve as immovable, unquestionable anchors in my life. So for me, scripture became those pilings. And every single day when I couldn't do anything else, I'd flip open that old book and let God whisper. It was scripture and old songs. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song will rise to you even when I don't feel like singing. Tis so sweet To trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word. Wayne also wrote these words. In the night, a sailor can't see land, nor can he get his bearings from the coastline. He must navigate by trusting, listen to this, the dimly lit buoys already set in place. So to all of us, whether we experience this or are struggling with this, it doesn't matter. To all of us... We need to be watchful, we need to be pre- preemptive, we need to be proactive, we need to lead and leave those lit, dimly lit buoys in the water ahead of us so that when we have those storms we can actually navigate ourselves back to home. Place the buoys of God's word in the water so that you can navigate your way back to safe shelter. Now I'm going to tell you something. Did just reading my Bible fix the problem? Nope. Didn't. But it was a peace. Secondly, I refused to isolate. Everything in me wanted to isolate. I just wanted to be alone in my pain. I wanted everyone to go away. But when I read the story of Elijah, it hit me. Let me read it to you again. Elijah ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. That's a clue. He went alone. He isolated himself. He went off on his own. I'll tell you something. The enemy wants you to be alone in your despair because when you're alone in your despair, his voice is the only one that you can hear. He wants to isolate you. Don't take the bait. Instead of pulling away, push in. Refuse to be alone. Being alone with Jesus, that's great. But don't forget that God is always pushing us into human Community. In fact, Pastor Ryan was here last night. He listened to it and he said, Grant, did you notice something? Elijah went alone, but when Jesus was wrapped in despair, what did he say? Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Staying surrounded by people who love you is so important because in those moments, they become the hands, the feet, The heart, the face, and the eyes of Jesus. Did that solve the issue by itself? Some of you are like, so you're telling me to uh, uh, read my Bible and get a small group. Did that fix it? No, but it helped. Thirdly, I talked it out with a wise counselor. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 11. We did that last series on purpose, getting ready for this one. The Bible says where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. So I went to a counselor. I got professional help. If you have a problem with that or want to judge me, I'm cool with that. Here's what I'd like to say because I'm not sure I've ever said it publicly. This church helped pay for it. Thank you. Thank you for not pushing me to go alone. Thank you for the compassion and the help. I'm not sure I'd be here without it. I went to a counselor. His name was Dr. Paddy Ducklow, Paddy with two Ds. A good Scotsman. <laughs> Dr. Ducklow came into my life when I went on sabbatical three years ago talked about my perfectionist tendencies, my need to stay busy. I will never forget our first session. I went and sat in his office and my leg was like trembling. He called it agitating. He goes, you're like a washing machine, just moving the water with your leg all the time. He always asked me the same question when we started our sessions, what did you have for breakfast? I'm like, what a stupid question, right? (laughs) I'm trying to fix my head and you want to know my breakfast menu? Seriously, bacon? I don't know. At breakfast, and he kept asking me every time I went, "What did you have for breakfast?" I don't, whatever, I don't remember. Okay, next time, what did you have for breakfast? 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 I'm like seriously, you got a degree, and that's your question? Like <laughs> the last session, I sat down, and he said, "What did you have for breakfast?" I said, I had a bagel, lightly toasted, that tasted of cream cheese, nutmeg, and cinnamon. I had a cup of coffee, and I noticed something. Every time I pour a cup of coffee, I pour a little bit of creamer, and I stir it three and a half times in a counterclockwise direction. (laughs) And I tap my spoon twice. And then I lay it down, the spoon, ladle end first, and then I let the end, drop off my finger until I hear this beautiful little ting. And he looked at me and said, finally, you're living, you're noticing, you're savoring, you're tasting, you're stopping, you're paying attention to what's happening. Grant, you're actually living your life, not just surviving. You can judge me if you want to. That was a breakthrough for me. I got a question for you, church. What'd you have for breakfast? Do you even remember? Do you remember what it tasted like? Or did you just do what you've always done because you're on a treadmill and you can't get off? Just a question. started making choices about life-giving and life-draining activity. I don't do a lot of life-draining activity anymore. I do a lot of life-giving opportunities. That's why if you see me out on the roads of Whatcom County when I'm running, just wave and smile because I'm probably talking to Jesus while I run. I started making choices about life-giving and life-draining people. And now I have to keep them in balance. And those are hard choices to make. Started talking it out. That's just wisdom. Here was the hardest one, this will probably be the most controversial, and I just want to tell you, if you're looking for an opportunity to judge me, this will be it right here, and I'm good with it. I received the help. Psalm 107 became a precious place where I would hide because it's all about God's help. It's about God's offer to help us, and the question is, are we all actually willing to receive it? As part of my journey, Laurel was praying alongside of me for God's help. My kids were praying alongside of me for God's help because they were watching their dad just kind of disappear into this dark cave and they never knew which guy was going to come out. On a Saturday night several years ago, a doctor from this church had the courage to approach me afterwards and he kind of looked me in the eye. He was here last night, totally embarrassed him. He kind of looked me in the eye and he asked me the question that we love to lie about. You okay? And for whatever reason, I decided to be honest. Nope. So I went to him professionally. He laid out some options for me for some physical changes. Bob Marvel (laughs) shamed me into learning how to run so we could do a a marathon together. It was Dr. Lee who kept me running because it was good for me. He laid out some physical changes, and then he wrote me a prescription, and I didn't like that. I filled the prescription, and it sat on my sink for two months, and I had a war with that little red bottle, because I'm like, I will not go there. I'm not doing that. At some point, I'm still believing I'm going to pray my way out of it. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to do something. Somebody will pray with me and say exactly the right words. Whatever formula needs to happen, it's going to break it all loose. I stared at that red bottle for weeks, and it was my wife who came along and said, okay, let me get this straight. You ask for God's help. He sent you a doctor who loves Jesus and you, he offered help to you and now you want to negotiate the terms by which your help arrives. <laughs> okay, please please be clear. I'm not saying medications your answer might be. So like I said, if you need an opportunity to judge me, here it is. I took it every day under protest, but I took it, and it helped. It moved the water line from here to here, along with a whole bunch of other stuff, Don't please don't miss that point. And I began to think, because I get this question all the time, Grant, should I, shouldn't I? And I said, you know, that's between you, God, and your doctor. But I would say this, who do you think inspired the chemist to put that compound together thinking that maybe, maybe it could help. I think I know who has originated every good idea that's ever helped anyone in humanity. I think I know the answer to that question, do you? Amen? Amen. Am I still taking it? Not right now, because a little while ago, my doctor said, You seem to be doing well. Why don't we wean you off of it and see how it goes? May I need it again someday? Could be. But for now, I'm doing a little better, and I'm thankful to God and to you for allowing me to be a human being. Let's keep going. I chose to rest, because was that it, did that fix everything? chose to rest. Matthew 11, Exodus chapter 20. The longest and most detailed commandment from God is the one about Sabbath and rest. So I made a decision to get off the treadmill of performance and get on the treadmill that at that time was in my garage. And I ran and ran and ran and ran because it actually did help. When I wasn't running, I was resting even though My perfectionist work ethic was screaming at me to do more. I learned the principle of God's divine opposites. When your flesh takes you in one direction, you should probably go the other way. My heart was saying, be alone, be alone, be alone. God kept saying, plug in, plug in, plug in. My heart was saying, push, 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 push. God was saying, rest. So I did. I changed my pace. I listened to a different cadence in a different rhythm. Did just resting fix it all? No, but it helped. I also did this I gave my cloud away. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this Cast all of your care. Some of your translations say anxiety. Cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. I did it repeatedly. I did it purposefully. I did it habitually every single day. God, you know about my little black rain cloud, so here you go. I know you're strong enough to hold it in the palm of your hand because I've seen you work unbelievable wonders in Watcom County as the clouds roll in and it rains and then they roll back out again and then it's beautiful. I mean, just unbelievable. Apparently, you do pretty well with clouds, so if you could take this little black rain cloud and hold it in your hand today, that would just help me know I'm not alone. Giving it to Him allowed me to step out from underneath of it. It gave me a moment to trust God to carry me through over and over and over again. Did that fix it? Nope, but it helped. Because I kept being reminded, He cared. He cared. He cared. He cared. I was not alone, and He cared. He was not alone, and He cared. Here's the last one. I actually started with 27. I had to get it down to about 6, So just so you know. I made the choice to trust in God's unfailing love. Earlier I read you the pain of King David. In Psalm chapter 13, these are David's words. Now remember, he's the king of Israel. He's got everything he needs. And yet he says this, after a protracted period of family stress that drives him 20 inches from a standing position down to his knees. David saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? David knows how we feel. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, answer, God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So here it is. David's saying, life is hard. I'm a prisoner in my own thoughts. I feel like the cloud has come down and wrapped itself completely around me. I feel like I'm actually losing and my enemies are going to go, "Ah, finally, we got that guy. And then he turns in verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. it has been good to me. You're like, well, that's not my story. If you're breathing, God's been good to you. If you're here today under your own power, God has been good to you. When you walked in and felt that sunshine on your back. God's been good to you. So I kept coming back to God's goodness. I'm not alone. He cares. And he's good to me. I love the fact that God loved me in the dark night of my soul and didn't shame me. He didn't tell me to pick myself up by my bootstraps. Instead, he wrapped himself around my humanness. And he was that great high priest. He empathized and he sympathized. He was there and I was not alone. I was not alone statistically. I was not alone biblically. I was not alone spiritually. So, if you're here today and this is not your struggle, When you walk outside, you should thank God, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that today I don't feel a cloud over me. Thank you, God. You should also be compassionate to those for whom your story may not be their story. If you're here and like me, you've struggled with this at any point, you are not alone, statistically. You are not alone biblically, and you are not alone spiritually. We will not condemn or judge you. We would like to walk alongside. So today, my prayer is that you walk out of here. And when you walk out and hit the sunshine, my prayer is that you will have one simple thought. No matter how I feel, God's been good to me. Good to me. Together as a family, we walk through this stuff. I know it's not easy, and I know it's not one-size-fits-all. all not going to tell you, oh, there's this magic spiritual pill. Believe me, if it was out there, I would have gone and found it. God has an interesting individual journey for each one of us. But I do know my journey probably has implications for everybody else, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to not only share it, But I also want to acknowledge the fact that you guys actually lived it with me. The last time I checked, that's how a family is supposed to act, right? So would you pray with me today as we close? Father God, I thank you for this moment. Thank you that we can be honest, open, and transparent with each other. God, I pray that we would look deeply into your word knowing that that's where the answers are. God, thank you for showing us that this experience of being human is not simple, it's not easy, it's unbelievably complex, and sometimes we need a little piece of so many answers in order to put pieces back together again. But God, I thank you for your patience, your love, and your presence. So God, for all of us, as we walk out of here today, I pray that we would have more compassion and empathy for those that are struggling. I pray that if we're not struggling, that we would be unbelievably thankful. And I pray that if we are, that we would would know we are not alone. So God, for my brothers and my sisters in this room today, may we be better equipped to walk through the dark night of the soul or to walk with someone through the dark night of the soul together so that we can all come to Jesus who still says, Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people at the 930 service agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.